the gospel of Jesus is not about what you do for God, how much you love God, how much you love your neighbor. The gospel of Jesus, this, this Bible, is written to explain to you how much God loves you. To the point that when you believe it, you find that who He is, is born in you. Amen. You know, I've got this little Jack Russell at home. And um, we've got a burbu next door. So this little dog, I can give him five lessons in how not to bark at the burbu next door. But I'm just going to waste my time. Because it is a Jack Russell. It, it can't not do it. It, it. it will do it all the time. Because it's, it, it is its being. It didn't have five lessons in how to defend its territory. It is a dog. In the very same way, when we are born from God, when we are born from this revelation of how much He loves us, we don't need five lessons on how to live a holy life. We don't need five lessons on how to talk right, on how to get a breakthrough, on how to get God to bless us. Because we, under, we get born from God. Amen. We get born from God. When we look at our political situation in, in, in South Africa today, we find that um, uh, even our children, you know, we most of the grown-ups here, we come out of the apartheid era. Um, but we will find that our kids, and even our kids' kids, they also struggle with apartheid, or with racism in some, to some degree. And the reason for that is, because of the information they received and then when it comes to politics being born from what they've heard so they don't have to go for five lessons on how to I want my house here and I want you to have your house over there because it's born from society it's born from the information you've received so in the very same way when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ when we hear the true message or the only gospel then we find that we are born from him and as natural as what it was to live a life of sin that's how natural how easy and how effortless it is to find God living you Paul says something that most pastors are scared to preach about uh, in Romans 7 he says when I sin it is not I who sin but it's the sin in me that sins. When he does something good, he says, it's not I who live, but it's Christ in me that lives. So what Paul comes, and the revelation that he has is, that the life I live is born from what I believe. It's not me. It is something, I'm a vessel, and something else can live in me. If I am law-minded and works-orientated, I find that the life that's in me manifests as sin. But when I'm God-minded, and I'm minded of the finished work of Jesus Christ, I find that He lives in me. I mean, what do we want? Why was it... Have you ever asked yourself the question, when I was in the world, it was not difficult to lose my temper, it was not difficult to sin, it was not difficult to go and smoke and drink and do all the wrong things. It was not difficult, it came so naturally. But now that we are in the... In Christ, you know, maybe we've left some of those things, but there's other things in our life that we need to work at all the time. It becomes an effort. It's not effortless. 
where sin was effortless, but why must we put in an effort when it comes to the gospel of Jesus? Yeah. I will tell you, when you hear the, the, the only true gospel of God's love, it's not an effort. Yes. It comes easy. It is born from God. An effortless life. I always say it this way, if change is not effortless, it's not lasting. Change needs to be effortless in order to be lasting. If you use effort to change, you will experience change as long as what you put in an effort. But when you're born from God, when your actions are born from God, you find as long as what He exists, you will have that good life. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. You know, uh, the word repent, um, like I said yesterday, I'm going to talk a little bit about spiritual warfare today. Um, the word repent in the Bible comes from a Greek word metanoia which means, which, which comes from two words the word meta where we get the word, the Afrikaans word met so ek het met a persoon gepraat together with ok, met and noia is the word to think when we repent we must start to think with God. The people, the, the, the Jews, came to Peter and said to Peter, what must we do? Now that we've heard this gospel, Peter says, repent. Think differently. That's what the word repent means. We've made repentance the uh, um, remorse for sin and stopping your sins. I don't know where it comes from. It is not in the Greek at all. The word repent means literally, uh, if you study it deeper, it means to change your mental faculty. It means to change the core from where you reason. Yes. We don't reason from the platform anymore of God is distant and that He wants to bless us but He can't because we've got these shortcomings in our life. We've got a different word, a different basis from where we reason. We've got the reasoning of God unified him with a man called Jesus. He incarnated himself into a human being and from there we reason. So we don't reason from the platform of God is far. We don't reason from the platform of we are sinners. We don't reason from the platform of we've got shortcomings. We don't reason from the platform of sin consciousness. That is repentance. Amen. So when I repent, I start to think with God. What does God think about sin? God's thought about sin cannot come from any foundation but the finished work of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10 says clearly that the worshippers that come to God must not come with a consciousness of sin. For through one sacrifice He took away sin forevermore. So whenever we look at a shortcoming in our life or some struggle in our life or anything and we start to try and look at why is things the way it is, we cannot come with sin consciousness because we've repented. We've come with a knowledge of God and what He's done for us. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. Right, um, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 6 talking about the armor of God and verse 10. 10 to 14. Amen. So when we repent, 
and we think with God and we talk about spiritual warfare or the armor of God, we're going to come with a throne room mentality. And we're going to talk about, we're going to think about our warfare from the perspective of perfection and not the perspective of need and lack. Okay. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the lusts of the devil. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against world rulers of, the, of this darkness, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Wherefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your loins with the truth, and having on the blessed breastplate of righteousness. Now today I want to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. So he says here that we must be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Okay, now when we are strong in the Lord, what does it mean? Wie sterk in die Heere? Hoe is sterk in die Heere? Ek wees nie sterk as in die Heere, beteken nie, jy weet, jy beleid die Jesus, jy beleid Jesus, jy weet, thank you Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that is not strong in the Lord. Strong in the Lord means to be strong in what He stands for. And what does the Lordship of Jesus stand for? Remember what I said last night, Jesus, uh, I mean, when we have kids, why do we have kids? Do we have kids to serve us? No. We don't have kids. Do we have kids so that we can rule over someone? No. So when God has kids, and we are His children, does He have children so that the children can serve Him? No. Neither do we have children so that the children can worship us, or sing our praises. So that means, if we that are evil know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more will God not raise up kids to worship Him? He's not going to do it. The reason why God has children is not to sing His praises, is not to serve Him, or to lord it over them. Have you found, those of you that hasn't been here last night, that you serve your kids much more than they will ever serve you? Have you found that you sing your kids' praises more than what they will ever sing your praises? Because you know by praising them and saying the truth about them, talking good about them, a new life is formed in them. Isn't it? The best, highest quality of life is formed in them because you basically sing their praises. So, when we're strong in the Lord, the word Lord there, what it means is, the Bible, Jesus says, he says, don't lord it over each other like the Gentiles. Where the Lord is the boss and he's got many servants. But he that wants to be the greatest must be the servant. Now, who was the greatest? Jesus was the greatest. Why? Because he became the servant of all of man. So lordship in the kingdom talks about God's service to man. That's what makes him lord. What makes him Lord is not he's bigger than us. What makes him Lord is he was the greatest servant. Now what it says, be strong in the Lord. It means be strong in how God serves you. Now with what does God serve us? 
God serves us with righteousness as a free gift. God serves us with God serves man with the ability to be one with God, free from our doing, but because of his doing. He serves us with innocence, and we're going to talk about that today. He serves us with a, a way into the throne room where we have no consciousness of sin. The throne room is called the throne room of grace. He says, come to my throne of grace. Isn't it? Yeah. Now, as you can take your fried chicken to gaan, what do you do? Hunger. So, now you say it, you know, every time as I can take your fried chicken in gaan, I'll get hunger flies. I don't know if you have a lot But you buy chicken at Kentucky Fried Chicken. You can't go there and order a bearing for your car's duff at KFC. You can't. You can't go and buy clothes at KFC because they sell chicken. In the same way, the throne room of God is the throne of grace. You can't find condemnation there. You can't find judgment there. You can't find sin consciousness there. You find God's influence upon your belief. It's a place where God influences us with who He is unto a new life. For He is not a sin conscious God. For He took away sin in Jesus. Amen. So our war, it says, finally brethren, be strong in the Lord... Be strong in how God serves you and in how mighty what He's done is. That's our spiritual warfare. To be strong in how He serves us and what the magnitude is of how He served us. Do you know how, how powerfully He served us? He served us so much that we will have the ability in the return of Christ to live forever and never die. He served us to the magnitude that man can walk into the throne room of God boldly without any consciousness of sin in the equality of God. That's how he served a sinner. You know how many times we think that God loves the lovely and God loves the obedient? No, no, no. God loves the sinner. If you read Luke chapter 6, the Bible says, if you love those that love you, what thank have you? If you give to those that give to you, what are you different to a sinner? Because a sinner gives to those that give to him. A sinner loves those that love him. But if you want to be like God, you must love those who despisefully uses you and abuses you. Then you like God. Because God is good to the unthankful and the evil. That's Luke chapter 6 from verse 28. He's good to the unthankful and the evil. God. And we've always thought traditionally that God is good to those that are good. No, no, no. God is good to the sinner. God is so good to the sinner that He gave His only begotten Son to the sinner. Now if He gives His Son to the sinner, what's worth the most? His Son or money? So if God can give you His Son for free, why can't He meet your needs for free? Why do you first have to do something for God to provide for you? No, 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 no. 
If Jesus could give you righteousness as a free gift, if Jesus can give you access to the throne room for free, and that's how God serves us, don't you think that He values His Son more than money? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? See, God's provision for us is not a works provision, but a worth provision. We are worth it. Amen. He is our Father. So when we are in a spiritual war, let's be strong in the Lordship of Christ. Strong in how He serves us. And in the magnitude of how He served us. Seeing the full dimensions of that. Amen. I remember years ago, I would walk around uh, uh, a certain area where we did a mission work, you know. And we would do spiritual warfare. And we would bind the devil. You know, and I would bind the devil of alcohol, I would bind the devil of homosexuality, I would bind all kinds of devils, and we would walk around this, this, this township. And as I was walking around the township, the third time I went around, I realized that this is not spiritual warfare anymore, this is exercise. <laughs> Have you ever walked around the township? Now, how big that thing is? It looks small until you walk around it. You know, binding the devil. Because the reason, and, and I don't know how many times it is like that, we bind the devil and we loose the Holy Spirit. Because we believe the Holy Spirit is bound and the devil is loose. And the next Sunday we do it again. So who's binding the Holy Spirit in the meantime and loosing the devil again? Yeah. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we do. Why do we do it? Because that's what we've been taught. If the fridge breaks, it's because the devil attacked me. And then we go and do introspection to see what, where I've opened the door for the devil. Because the fridge broke. You know, these days they don't make fridges the way they made them 20 years ago. And I remember I was in a, 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 a church in Potchefstroom and, and then there was this missionary and uh, his, his car was just, you know, the old combi. And uh, uh, Uncle Pete. So we're going to pray for Uncle Pete now. And then the pastor prayed and said, We bind the devil that attacks this combi all the time. But I don't know if you realize that the devil attacks old cars a lot. <laughs> and old cars attacked all the time. I don't see him attacking a brand new Mercedes or an Audi. But an old car is always under the attack of the devil. And then the guy that drives the car feels, oh, you know, I've opened the door for the devil, I must... Listen, let's be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Maybe your car's just old. That's it. Okay? Maybe the fridge was just not a good one. The devil is not that busy. Jesus was more busy than the devil. And what God did in Christ is bigger than what Satan did in Adam. Amen. So we can sit and rest in the finished work of God. If we can realize that what Satan did in Adam cannot weigh up to what God did in Jesus, we'll have peace. We'll have peace. Because we've been living with a defeat consciousness all the time. Anything bad that happened, this world, as the way it is now, is not called a glorified world. It's called a broken world. 
Okay? Our spirit is healed, our mind is being renewed, but this physical world is waiting for the return of Christ. And then we look at the things that happen in a physical broken world, and we want to measure up, and, and we want to use that as the point of reference about our life. No, 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 there's only one point of reference about your life. He's called the resurrected Jesus. If you want to know who you are, look at Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, When you look into the very glory of God, you look as in a mirror. Now you think, think of the glory of God. Moses was on the mountain, okay? You saw the fire, the flames, the shaking of the mountain, the very Shekinah glory of God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, says, When we look into the very glory of God, think of God's perfection, the deepest awesome glory you can ever imagine. The Bible says when you look into that, you look in a mirror. Now, who do you see in a mirror? And this is not a trick question. You see yourself, man. As you in a spiel kijk. Now, as you in the volmaakte heerlijkheid van God kijk, kijk you in a spiel. Dan sê hy, hoe meer jy dit kan raak sien, the more you can look into this glory as in a mirror, the more you are changed into the very same image of what you behold. It's impossible to walk in perfection before you can see yourself as perfect. You are perfect. But Bert, you know, ek het nou net my kind in die kop geklap, want hy wil nie hoor nie. Ek het vir ochem my man gevloek. I know there's nobody here that's ever done that, but it happens, if, if you ever meet somebody, you know, that it's happened with, you can say there's a preacher that also talked about it once. <laughs> and then you look at all this, you say, but look, look at my life, do you want to tell me I'm perfect? The Bible says through one sacrifice, Jesus, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Unless you can first see the sacrifice of Christ and see you yourself as perfect in Jesus, it will be very difficult to see perfection manifest in your life. You first believe it, then you see it. Mm. Hallelujah. So, when it comes to spiritual warfare, what does it talk about? It talks about really making use of what Christ has done for us. Verse 14, stand therefore having... Uh, and gird your loins with the truth I'm not going to talk about that now and then put on the breastplate of righteousness the breastplate of righteousness what does righteousness mean? righteousness means to weigh up to the standard this is what righteousness means gerechtigheid ons sal nou die ding lees daar so ek kan net so'n bykie stop af, gaan nou by hom kom kom ons verduidelik het gauw gerechtigheid die woord gerechtigheid righteousness comes from a Hebrew word which means scale or balance. You remember years ago you would go into the shop and when you want to buy some sugar, then uh, you, you would say, I want one kilogram of sugar. Then they put a one kilogram weight on the one side and then they put sugar on the other side until it balances and then there's a little zero in the middle and when the needle hits the zero, you know that there's one kilogram of sugar. So the sugar in weight is righteous of one kilogram. God was in heaven. Let's, let's, let's make a scale. Here's a human being. Here's God in heaven. God stands in the one side of the scale 
And us humans, we stand on the other side of the scale. And on the weight of holiness, God outweighs us completely. Okay? So God in heaven is so much holier than what we are. But God wants us to have the same weight in holiness as what He has. So what did He do? He said, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sat in heaven and said, Let us make a plan. If I can incarnate myself into this little speck of dust that's on the other side of the scale, then God the Son in a human being will weigh up to God the Father that's in heaven. And a human being is made righteous with the righteousness of God. We are weighing up to the standard of God. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. <laughs> Hallelujah. Our spiritual war is not to say, I remember in the morning when I was in Potsdam, I would get up in the morning uh, in the Bible school and cruise to Amsterdam. My friend was also, we shared a room and then we first get dressed in the armor of God. Glory to God. You put on, you know, the shoes of the willingness, you know, and we bind the devil. And we're in our spiritual war. Where the spiritual war here is put on the breastplate that I'm going to explain now of righteousness. In other words, cover your heart. Your heart is your belief system. Your belief system. Your heart is not just, it's not just pompy in your boskas. Your heart is your geloof system. Hoe jy glo, die hart van jou weese, die hart hoe jy glo. Die Bijbel sê, met die hart glo ons tot gerechtigheid. Die hart is die geest waarin jy, van waaruit jy dink. Let me explain it like this. Spirit, one of the meanings of spirit in the Greek is a vital principle or a life principle. So the principle of your life is the spirit of your life. Okay? So, and which is our heart? Your heart, your belief system, how you believe. In the old apartheid era, we believed from a certain heart. The heart was that all people aren't equal. And from there we reasoned. But now, we've, we've, we've seen the truth and we know that all people are equal. Amen. So we've got a different heart. We've got a new heart inside us. And from a new heart, we've got a new reasoning. We've got a new foundation from where we reason, a new heart. Now we protect our heart by what? By knowing we weigh up. By knowing we are qualified. With what qualification? The qualification of God. For you to say you don't qualify, you need to say Jesus doesn't qualify. Colossians 3 verse 1 says, look at Jesus who is your life. It doesn't say look at Jesus' life and copy his life. It says look at Jesus who is your life. You don't have a life and Jesus has a life. You, the life of Christ is your life. Mm. You know, as humans, we want to say, Ya Mar. Now, last night I had a dream. And I dreamt I was preaching grace the way I'm preaching. And a woman came up to me and she took her finger like this and she pushed it into my mouth. And she pushed my tongue down. And she says, Ya Mar. And I fell over. And what it means is, very simple, the moment we point the finger to the gospel of grace and we say, yes, but, it loses its power. There's no but to this thing. This is what God has done. 
and it is marvelous in our eyes that his life is my life. We easily say that the life of Adam is my life. Why can't we say the life of Christ is my life? That's what the Bible teaches. So we put on the breastplate of righteousness. This breastplate of righteousness, um, the, the way I understand and see it is it talks about the breastplate that the, um, the, 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 and that's why I believe it's called the breastplate of righteousness. It wasn't called the breastplate of faith or the breastplate of protection or anything like that. It was called the breastplate of weighing up, of having the standard of God. Put that upon your heart. Believe that. That's the way you protect yourself. You protect yourself by believing you are righteous. You protect yourself by believing that you fall nothing short to the standard of the resurrected Jesus Christ. You fall nothing short from the standard of the Almighty God. You are holy with the very holiness of God. Because it's given to you as a free gift in Jesus Christ. As what sin was given to you as a free gift when Adam sinned, that's how righteousness was given to you as a free gift when Jesus obeyed on your behalf. Amen. Adam sinned on our behalf and we became sinners because he was disobedient. In the very same way, the Bible says in Romans that or in Corinthians that Jesus, or Romans 5, Jesus obeyed on our behalf. So his obedience is written behind your name. That's beautiful. So that whenever you go and ask God, you go with boldness. Because as much as what Jesus qualifies, you qualify. There's absolute peace between you and God. Now, let's go to the breastplate of righteousness. You can just put it on for me there, please. Um, this talks about Aaron and when he went before God he had a certain breastplate this breastplate was of gold inside this breastplate was 12 stones talking about the church and in this breastplate was also two stones called the Urim and the Thummim okay let's read it it says and you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim and they shall be upon the, uh, Aaron's heart when he goes before the Lord and Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon the heart before the Lord continually. And you shall put, in the breastplate of judgment, the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart. So that breastplate was also called the blessed breastplate of judgment. Okay? Judgment. What is judgment? It's how God judges you. That breastplate was called the breastplate of God's judgment. Judgment also means decision. What God decides about you. This breastplate was made out of gold, which talks about godliness or divinity. Inside this was 12 stones, talks about the church. So put upon your heart the divinity or the godliness of the church. Okay? Believe how godly and divine and beautiful and valuable you are. And in this breastplate of judgment will also be the Urim and the Thummim. Now, you see Urim and Thummim there? I asked God, I said, God, what is the Urim and the Thummim? And I went and I read up on many commentaries and I couldn't find something that satisfied my heart. So I prayed. And uh, that night I had a dream. And I dreamt that the Urim and the Thummim, the two words come out like this. And out of the Urim comes the sign of the, the Alpha sign, the Greek Alpha sign. And out of Thummim comes the Omega sign. Alpha Omega. Now that's just a dream. 
But then I said to Hilian, I woke up in the morning, I took my phone, and I checked quickly in the Hebrew. I said, let's see if, the, if this dream is true. Check this out. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment, then you see the, in the blue there, I've got H 853, okay, the Urim and the Thummim. Um, go to the next slide, please. Okay, you'll see now 853, eh? There are two letters. Aleph and Tav. Rechts, let's go rechts, and links in the Hebrews. Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrews, and Tav is the last letter And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment Aleph Tav. Alpha Omega, the Urim and the Thummim. Okay, direct in the following slide. What is here Aleph Tav? It's a sign of the definite direct object, not translated in English, but generally preceding and indicating the accusative. So it's it's a word that's not translated in English. Even the Hebrew rabbis don't know what this word means. Next slide, please. It comes from this word. It's a signal. A sign, a distinguished mark, a banner, a remembrance, a miraculous sign, an omen, a warning, a token. So, so what is this? In the middle of this writing, here goes the writer and he writes a word and all of a sudden for no reason he makes an A and a Z. And then he writes again and for no reason he makes an A and a Z. And many places in the Bible this word is used. This word is used over 7,000 times in the Bible and can't be translated. It's the word used the most in the Old Testament. It's word more than, word more as in in die. But it's not translated, it's got no meaning. It's just a A and a Z for no reason. That's why it says it's an omen. You know what an omen means? An omen means it's a sign of a futuristic event. That's an omen. So, in the middle it says, put on the breastplate. It says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And in this breastplate, put the Alpha and the Omega, the Urim and the Thummim. Okay, next word. Next. This is Urim. What does Urim mean? It is a flame, a light, or a fire. Okay. Uh, Urim, let me explain this. The Urim and the Thummim was put in the breastplate of the priest that uh, whenever he came before God, it talks, uh, uh, um, it was also used as almost like what we would call dices. You know, you would cast the dice on the ground and that was also how they determined direction for the nation. Whenever direction was given for the whole nation, then the priest had to have the Urim and the Thummim with him in the breastplate before God could direct Israel. So without the Urim and the Thummim, God couldn't give direction. Because Jesus is the direction of people. Hallelujah. Okay. So what does Urim mean? It's a flame, a light or a fire. Next slide. 
Summum perfections. Okay, it's the plural of the Hebrew word 8537, which means perfections. Next slide, let's go to 8537. It means completeness, figuratively, prosperity, usually morally innocence. So, Urum is light, Thumum is the plural of innocence. So, put in the breastplate the Alpha and the Omega, the light of your innocence. Talking about your value, talking laid in divinity, you the God kind. Talking about your value, your breastplate of righteousness. That is called the breastplate of God's judgment about you. When you're judged by God, He judges you in the light of innocence, which is Jesus. Mm. Urim means fire. Okay? John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but there's one greater than me that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's going to baptize you in the fire of innocence, which John could not do, because John declared the guilt of people. You were a sinner, and you had to be baptized because sinners got baptized. Jesus came to baptize man in innocence. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Yes. Our spiritual war is to put on the breastplate of righteousness, not the breastplate of guilt, not the blessed breastplate of condemnation or obligation or service to God or what I must do for God or, or, or how I must serve my neighbor. That's not the breastplate you're supposed to put on. In our spiritual war, I want to tell you, there are uh, authorities out there that want to teach you something that's going to destroy you. And the way you protect yourself against any false doctrine is by always knowing you are standing in the fire of God's innocence. Ezekiel 31 and Ezekiel 1. Ezekiel County says, I saw the glory of God and I saw a throne and upon this throne I saw a fire. I saw a man. This is what he said. I saw a man. And from his loins up, he was a fire. And from the loins down, he was a fire. He is the Urum, the fire, the light of innocence. The Alpha and the Omega. Jesus comes and says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the Alpha and the Omega. <laughs> Hallelujah. Start on Chovye Opal. Isn't that awesome? In our spiritual war, it's not a bundy devil with a dog. A spiritual war. I don't fear. I don't fear. I don't fear. No, 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 no. If you do that, you're just a very scared guy saying you're not fearing. <laughs> a person who does not fear. Come on, guys, you like, you like, geen vrees. Geen vrees like so. This must be what like. They will have been killed it. That like in our scene. What God did in Jesus makes us God conscious and not devil conscious. 
Hallelujah. So we walk in the light of innocence, the Alpha and the Omega, the name Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? The Bible says you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will remove his people's sins. He will save his people from their sin. So what does the name Jesus mean? It means salvation from sin. The word salvation means to be kept safe. He will keep you safe from sin. Because sin will never ever dictate to you who you are ever again. Because you've got a greater word about your life, which is Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The Lamb of God came to baptize us in fire. God has got one judgment about you. And that is always in the light of your innocence. That can give you good, a good clue on hearing God's voice. Because when God wants to give you direction, it will always be in the light of your innocence. It will always be in the light of what He's done to give to you for free. So whenever you want to hear God's voice, He's only going to give you direction. He could, it, God would not give direction to Israel without a priest who had the Urim and the Thummim. God cannot give you direction outside of the light of innocence. But we look at what's wrong and then we want direction and we think that God is a God that abradeth. What that means is, ons dink God is a God wat verwijt. Verwijt beteken om te kyk na die verlede. So God gaan kyk na die verlede, kyk wat die fout het jy gemaakt, en as jy nou hierdie foutie gemaakt, en dan gaan hy nou vir jou raad gee op grond van jou skuld. Nee, he gives you advice on the right, in the light of your innocence. So, when you live in defeat in this world, the advice God will give you will be from the perspective of you're not guilty anymore. And you are not guilty anymore. And then he looks at your life and he realizes and he sees the reason why you live the way you live is because of your ignorance of your innocence and he will direct you towards your innocence so that you can walk in victory because innocence believed equals the quality of life God possesses which is not by your willpower but the resurrection power of Christ it's not pie in the sky it's something you can feel today hallelujah you're loved by God when he looks at you, he is that fire, he is that goodness. You know, when, when Moses was on the mountain, and he, uh, he was in the glory cloud, the Shekinah glory of God, and there was fire, and there was everything, and then after many days, hearing the audible voice of God, now listen to this, Moses lives hearing the audible voice of God. He is in the cloud that we so many times want in our churches. They see the fire and the lightning from the foot of the mountain. And in there for many days, then Moses said to God, Oh, please show me your glory. Because this cannot be it. Then God said, Tomorrow I will let all my goodness pass before you and I will explain my name. And the next day God showed his glory to Moses and his glory was his goodness. And he passed by before Moses and he says, I am the Lord, the Lord God. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, 
forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, keeping mercy for thousands. And I will by no means pass by any guilty one, but I will visit the sins of the fathers upon the children's children. Now what does that mean? He says, I am merciful. Let's say this is mercy. I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I'm long-suffering. I'm abundant in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands. Okay. What does he do with this mercy? He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And he will not pass by any guilty one. And he will visit the sins of the fathers upon the children's children until the third and fourth generation. With what will he visit sin? With the mercy that is kept for the thousands. <laughs> Hallelujah. You are forgiven into your generations, man. He didn't pass by any guilty one. But on the cross, he visited the sin of every human being, taking it away, so that we can declare the innocence of people, so they can come to God and experience the love of God. Hallelujah. We're talking about spiritual warfare today. <laughs> Amen. This is our spiritual war. Because the attack is towards your belief. Your heart. Satan wants you to believe you're guilty. And you can only see what you believe. If you believe a BMW is a bad car, you will only see the broken down BMWs in the street. If you believe a beam is a good one, you will only see when they win races. Isn't it? You will, only, you will not hear about the car where the, where the people died in BMWs. You will only hear of the cases where they survived when there, was, when there was an accident. Because that's what you believe. You can only see what you believe. So Satan wants to attack your belief that you can believe you're guilty. And the moment you believe you're guilty, you'll only see your sin and your shortcomings. And you'll be so busy trying to get your life to measure up to the standard of God so that you can have a good relationship with God, that you'll be so busy with that that you can never hear God. You see, the problem is God is broadcasting on channel innocence, no condemnation, everything for free. But we've tuned into channel working for God. And all we hear is, because the thing is off tune. And every now and then there's a program coming up telling you what you can really do. And then you get so busy with the mar, the finger that shows mar. Ja, God is goed in alles, mar. If you go and read, uh, um, I want to read you this verse in Second uh, Kings 5. From verse 1. Listen to this. Now Naaman, captain of the hosts of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable. So Naaman was a captain, a wonderful man. And honorable, because by him God has given victory to Syria. And he was also a mighty man of valor. It looks good, no? Following word. But he was a leper. Eveskielik is alles wat goed is weg. Want hy het die woordkie maar ingesit. 
Naaman was this mighty man of valor. God used him. But he was a leper. Oomlik as jy maar insit, dan het alles wat jy voor die maar gesit het, het het gedisqualificeer. Jy kan nie maar insit hee. God het my sonde vergewe, maar ek moet toch net my verantwoordelik, los die maar, laat hierdie woord geboorte gee aan die nieuwe lewe, en laat die gebore word van die geloof, van ek is die God type, ek is a heilige wees, die mense kom, people come and they sin, in, in Corinthians, they sin, a, a, a guy sleeps with his mother, with his father's wife, ok, so what happens is, it was his right man, but his mom was going to die and his father was whatever. He sleeps with her. You know what Paul says? He says, don't you know that you are the temple of God? Because he knows the reason why they live like that is because they cannot believe who and what they are. He does not correct the action, he corrects the belief. Because if your belief can be the belief of God, then you will find the quality of God's life manifesting in you for free, not by your willpower, but the resurrection power of Jesus, where you don't live a new life, but where you are resurrected into a new life. Thank you, Jesus. Let's talk about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm greeted from John chapter 1. Let's see if I can have next by gesit. It was last the last slide gewees, nee. Okay, that's it. Right. Um, let's read John chapter 1 verse 29. John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan River. Now I'm going to say something now that can stretch your brain. He was baptizing in the Jordan River. I love to preach on this. I want to preach on it every every session I preach. I I want to work this in somehow. And on the morrow, he saw Jesus coming unto him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the church. The world. The world. Not church. The world. Okay. Look at the Lamb of God. John the Baptist said this. Look at the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. I want to read Matthew 3 from verse 13. Then Jesus said, then Jesus, uh, uh, then comes Jesus from Galilee to the Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John would have hindered him, saying, I have need to be baptized of you, and you come to me. But Jesus answered and said unto him, Let it be done now, for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. So here comes John, he says, Look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. Then later he comes to be baptized by John. John says, I can't baptize you. You must baptize me. Jesus says, John, if I'm baptized by you, then we fulfill all righteousness. Hy het nie dit geskryf omdat hy die ochtend rijst krispies geëet het nie. Hy het dit geskryf, want het beteken iets. To fulfill all righteousness. By the baptism of Jesus. Let me explain the lamb. You know, if a man would sin in the Bible times, old Bible times, then you would go and get a lamb. This lamb had to be blameless, a perfect lamb. Now imagine you've done this horrible sin and you feel guilty in your mind. You've got sin consciousness in your mind, okay? Now you want to get rid of the sin consciousness. You want a peace. 
What do you do? You take a lamb. Say you cheated your friend out of a lot of money and this guilt is killing you. You can't pay the money back. What are you going to do? You're going to take a little lamb. Then you're going to go with the priest, to the priest. Now, what does the lamb know about stealing money? Even after five lessons in how to steal, the lamb doesn't understand nothing. He sucks grass. Isn't it? He doesn't care about, you can't explain. You can't explain fornication, lying, stealing, not honoring your father and mother. The lamb is of a different species. He cannot comprehend it. He cannot understand it. He's not in the level of being able to even comprehend it. He is what you call innocent in mind. He's got no consciousness of sin. He goes to the priest. The priest investigates the lamb, not the man. The lamb. He knows the man is not the man is guilty. You can come there to the priest with a little lamb, and you can say, you know, I pre I prayed five times last week, and I fasted and whatever, and then the priest will say, yeah, 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 yeah. Where's the lamb? He's got no issue with how good you lived. He's got an issue with the, the purity of the lamb. Then you would confess your sin. After confession of sin, hands was laid on the head of the lamb. What does that talk about? It talks about the transference of the guilty conscience from your mind to the mind of the lamb. Then a knife was taken out. And your guilty conscience died with the lamb. So that the innocence of the lamb was now on the man. And the man walked away with the innocence of the lamb. The quality of innocence that cannot even comprehend sin. <laughs> Jesus came in the Jordan River and says, look at the lamb of God. that takes away the sin of the world. Now what baptism did John baptize with? John's baptism was the baptism of a sinner. He was a sonder wees om gedoop te word by Johannes. Je kon nie righteous wees nie, jy moes a sonder wees. So you came, confessed your sin and you were baptized. But here comes the Lamb of God. John says, Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. I want to be baptized into your innocence. But now you want to be baptized by me. This is the wrong way around. Jesus said, if I'm baptized by you, we fulfill all righteousness. And the Lamb of God came to John. Who was John? John was the son of the high priest. He was the picture of the priest. And he was baptized. His head was put on the head of the lamb. And he baptized him into the sin of the whole world. And when he came out of that water, the people that sat on the shores of the river had the innocence that the lamb had before he entered the river. And then Jesus from there went into the desert because Leviticus 16 says the scapegoat, the sonderbok, okay, 
naar die sonde van die volk op hom geplaas was, moes in die woestijn inloop. Huh? Yeah, Jesus walks into the desert to be tempted of the devil, carrying the sin of the whole world. Then Jesus came. <laughs> By the way, that is the word forgive. The word forgive means to divorce, or to end the contract, or to send away, or to, sep- to separate. Okay. Carrying the sin. The sin has not died yet. The sin is just still on the lamb. Ek het nie nog genoeg tyd om dit te verduidelik uit Leviticus 16 uit nie, but here he walks. Right. He comes to a woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. He looks at her. The first thing he does is he removes the, act, the accuser. He first removes the accuser. You that are without sin, throw the first stone. Ek kan ook nie nou dit nou klaar verduidelikie. Right. Then he looked at the woman. He says, woman, where is your accusers? He says, there's nobody accusing me. See, that's the first thing Jesus does. does. He first removes accusation. Then he sees if you've got the revelation that there's nothing accusing you. Then he can talk to you. Otherwise, you're going to interpret it in the, with a filter of guilt that I talked about last night. Then he says, listen to this, neither do I condemn you. The word condemn is a legal term. You first judge someone. If he's found guilty, then you condemn him unto two years imprisonment or some punishment. First, you get judged. Then you get condemned. So Jesus looked at the woman that was caught in the very act. He judged her, couldn't find any sin, Therefore, he could not condemn her. It would have been a sin to condemn her. He would have sinned to stone her. He had no right to stone her because her sin was on him. He took it in the baptism. Do you know why Jesus could heal the sick? Matthew 8, from verse 14 onwards, Jesus heals the sick. He says, this was to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 53 which says he carried my sickness and bore my disease. Long before the cross. So where did he take the sickness and the disease? In the baptism of John. And he demonstrated the innocence of people. A man came that was paralyzed in Matthew 9 to Jesus. Before he even said a word, Jesus said to him, Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Then the Pharisees got upset. And said, how can this man forgive sin? Only God can forgive sin. Then Jesus said, listen. What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or stand up and walk? Because the Jews believed that you were sick if you had sin. They asked, this man, was he born blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? They connected sickness with sin. So Jesus said, your sin is forgiven. So if your sin is forgiven, then you can walk. So Jesus, your sins are forgiven you. No way. That can't be a man cannot forgive sin. A man cannot divorce other people from their sins. A man cannot send another man's sin away. Then Jesus says, to prove to you that a man can carry away sin 
I will tell him to walk. In other words, the proof of his forgiveness would be if he can walk. So he says, walk. And he proved that he was forgiven. Because John and Jesus in baptism, John as the high priest, Jesus as the lamb, took upon him the sin of the world. And while walking on the earth, he demonstrated the innocence of people. Then on the cross, sin died forevermore as anything between you and God. So that we can go today with the gospel of the Alpha and the Omega, the light of innocence that is in the breastplate. And in our spiritual war, what do we dress ourselves in? We dress ourselves in the light of innocence, the judgment of God, which is that we are divine, we are precious, we are innocent before God. And that is the gospel for every man. Everyone who takes this breastplate unto him, meaning he believes and calls upon this truth, is saved. But who does not, the guy who doesn't believe, what happens? You find that the enemy kills him. He's not safe. He's not saved. I've used this many times for those of you that watch via the internet. You know, you've heard this many times, but I want to just say this again. Imagine I am a dog breeder and I've got this beautiful dog. And um, it's the most beautiful dog that I've that we ever got. And I said, this dog, I'm not selling this puppy, I'm keeping this puppy. And after six months, this puppy gets lost. Okay? He jumps over the fence, he's gone. And I'm looking for my dog. And I'm looking for my dog, I'm looking for my dog. I put advertisements in the newspapers, I go to all the shops, I put some pictures up. I can't find the dog. And it's two years later. And I drive through an area that is really poor and, and people are struggling and I find my dog or a dog that looks like my dog tied to a pole. And they want it brand sick and they are full eight and they like slag. But I can see on the mark on his face, just where the hair is growing, the white flag on his face. I say, but that's my dog. And I take the picture on my cell phone and I look at the picture and I say, but this is my dog. I go in, I knock at the door. I say to the lady that opens, this dog, where did you get this dog? He says, no, 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 this is our dog. Where did you get the dog? No, this dog came here about two years ago. We asked around, it was nobody's dog. So, the dog stayed here, so we figured that the dog rather want to be here than where it comes from. So it's our dog. And you show the picture on the cell phone from this puppy, you know, every month as it grew, because you carry those pictures because a dog is dear to you. And he said, but this is actually my dog. And, the, and then the lady says, listen, you need to speak to my husband about this thing. You can't just take this dog. You found the husband, you say to the husband, listen, I want this dog, you know, uh, I know it came here, but it's actually my dog. And I know that you, you cared for the dog for two years. I'll pay you for this dog. I'll buy the dog back. That's the, that's the Greek word, redeem, to buy back. I'll buy the dog back. What do you want? She says, I want a thousand rand. He says, where are you? He says, no, I'm in Russell's. You go to Russell's quickly, you pay in the thousand rand. You are very happy because you redeemed the dog. The dog is redeemed. The dog is paid for. Amen. 
Now you run to the house. You're going to now take the dog and save him from this pole. As you come to the dog, the dog wants to bite you. Why? He doesn't believe he's redeemed. That's why he cannot be saved. He will die there. Because he cannot believe in his redemption. The moment he can believe in his redemption and in his new owner, you'll find the dog will allow you to save him from the pole. So what do you do? I was a dog handler in the army. This is what you do with a very aggressive dog. You sit there and you talk to the dog. You take some of your lunch and you feed the dog. And as a dog gets convinced of your love towards him, the dog will accept you as his owner. Then you can release the dog. And that is what this gospel is all about. We go to the world and we introduce them to what Jesus has done. The innocence of people. When they can believe in their redemption, they can be saved. We don't go there with a list of things they can never do trying to save them. We can't. And we can't live in this world in a spiritual, where the whole world wants to condemn us, where the whole world wants to tell you how guilty you are, how you don't qualify without the breastplate of righteousness. It's going to destroy your life if you don't put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the breastplate of I, way up to the standard of God. Put on the breastplate of God always talks to me in the light of my innocence. I am not guilty anymore. I wanted to play that song that I've given, please.
spotless You are holy You are faultless You are whole You are righteous of the Lamb of God. This innocence is not our doing. It is His doing. Let your heart be covered with the breastplate of righteousness. So the darts of the wicked one cannot attack your belief. The wicked one wants to attack you with emotions of guilt. Emotions of shortcoming. As preachers, we are ministers. We've got the ministration of reconciliation according to 2 Corinthians. Also the bedienung van versoening. To testify that God in Christ has reconciled the whole world unto himself by not imputing their trespasses against them. And as an ambassador today, I plead with you, be ye from your side reconciled unto God by accepting Jesus' sacrifice. We've so many times accepted Him as the Son of God, but we haven't accepted what He's done. Let's accept our innocence. Let's accept our godliness. Let's confess Him as our Lord. Adam is not your Lord. You're not your own Lord. The law of Moses is not your Lord. Church tradition and church rules is not your Lord. The Son of the living God is your Lord. The one that serves you. That's why we can say we are not guilty anymore. We are blameless. Not because we've lived blameless, but because He made us blameless. Because of what He's done. And this revelation gives birth to a new life. I want to pray for you. If you say, Bertie, I want my, the eyes of my understanding enlightened. 
That's what the word Urur means, light or fire. If you want your eyes, the eyes of your understanding, full of light, full of, full of the fire of God, full of the light of your innocence. That's what Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened. If you say, Bharti, pray for me for that. I want you to just come to the front and I want to lay hands on you and pray for you that you can, when you read the Bible, just see these things and then just after that we're going to have communion. Hallelujah. If there's anybody that wants me to pray for you, just come. I want to lay hands on you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that I can just pray right now. And I just declare an enlightened mind. A mind that can understand how high, how wide, how deep and how long the love of God is. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord, that all pressure... All disqualification, everything is removed and that the understanding is, is open to see and apply the finished work of Christ in her life, in her marriage, in raising her children. I thank you, Father, for your peace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You bring healing. Thank you for the comfort of the gospel, the peace of Jesus. Oh, I bring you so much peace. Let all the seer and the disqualifier net gaan. I make you heel gezond. Jesus make you gezond. And give you sy leven as a leven. Jy is so onskuldig. Die last wat jy gedra het, die skuldgevoel die. Heere, waar mis ek dit? Dit is weggevat. You're not guilty anymore. You're not guilty anymore. Thank you, Lord, for peace. Peace, peace in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Heere, for your kracht. Ek thank you, Heere, that I take my hand up here on the that the oor van sy verstand opgaan om te sien hoe hoog, hoe weit, hoe diep en hoe lang die liefde is, dat hy vervul kan word met die volheid van God as manifestatie in sy leven. Lord, we're not heading for a life of sin. The life, we are accepting your holy life as our life. Understand, when you read the scriptures, you'll see the grace of God. Mm. Amen. Hallelujah. Dankie, Vader, ek vir die man kan bid. Ek leem my hand op om en ek dankie, Heere. Hmm verlichte oor van sy verstand that he will be able to see and comprehend the dimensions of the Alpha and the Omega the depth of grace, the depth of God's love the depth of his being the platform from where you think that it can become ours and he is right now in Jesus name Hallelujah, thank you Father thank you Father thank you Father that you for your can bid Dankie Heere, dat u van verlichte oog gee van haar verstand, soos Paulus gebid het. En ek dankie Heere, dat dit in die worship sal uitkom met die liedere van ons skuld. Die liedere van God is die ver nie maar nabij. Die liedere wat u prijs besing, as gevolg van wat u gedoen het. Thank you Father, she'll see. When she reads the scriptures, even if there's a verse that doesn't make sense, she will say, well, it doesn't make sense. But I go with what makes sense and I know God is love. He's the agape. He's the one. He is the one that loses his breath over us. 
you, Jesus. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, when it comes to communion, the Bible says that we should not come in an unworthy manner. What does it mean to come in an unworthy manner? The context of an unworthy manner is people came and they got drunk at the communion table. It was not talking about you having sin. It talks about, the Bible says, you must come being mindful of Him. So communion is not mindful of your sin. It's mindful of your innocence. Do you know what the breaking of the body of Jesus means? Jesus became a man born under the law. And he was the embodiment of the human race under the law. And then the body of the law was broken. So that no man stands before God on the basis of works righteousness anymore. And we take the broken body, if, if, if we take this bread, we say this is the body of Jesus that was broken for me. Meaning, the embodiment of the law forever is broken. And I eat the broken body, for the revelation of the law body as broken is what feeds me and gives me my life. <laughs> if it's not good news, it's not the gospel. It must be good news to be the gospel. Amen. Can we get the people that's going to help to serve forward, please? If you are at home, take a piece of bread, uh, get yourself some wine or grape juice, whatever you prefer, and let's have communion together. His body was broken for us. I want to tell you, wherever you sit in front of your computer, anywhere in the world where you're watching today, that the body of law, the body of disqualification was broken. And when you eat it, our life is formed. The life you have is formed from the revelation of the broken body, the broken law system, forever broken. Your disease was broken, your disqualification was broken, everything was broken. In the same way, His blood washes our guilty conscience. Amen. When you take the wine, you know what that blood means? You know, sometimes we think that the body and the blood are for those who don't have sin. No, 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 no. If somebody sins, give him communion. It says, be mindful of me, not mindful of what you've done in the week. Mindful of me. Let your mind be full, mindful of Christ. But communion was this thing of, I must first be innocent before I can partake. No, 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 no. He is your innocence and you are partaking of your innocence. So let's eat together. Amen. We are being fed by the revelation of the law is taken away forevermore. That's my life. The blood of Jesus, when we confess our sins, the blood doesn't wash away our sin. The blood washes your guilty conscience. Because 2,000 years ago, your sins was already washed away. But when we confess our sin and we say, I, 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 I've sinned and I homologeo, I say the same thing about my sin as what God says. You know what happens? Your guilty mind is washed. By what? By His blood that wash away 
my sin. Where? Not between me and God. In my mind. That's where it gets washed. Let's drink of the cup of our innocence. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.